I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. It is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one. The investigators tell us it seems the suspect was going to pass them, then turned and fired. Laura, what you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations. I rise to support the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump. And I'm about to talk to him about allegations that he was involved with prostitutes in Moscow and that the Russians taped it and have leverage over him. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with our good friend from the Iranian resistance, the National Council of Resistance in Iran, Ali Safavi. Welcome to the show, sir. Well, uh, hello, uh, Todd, and thank you very much for having me um, on the show. And I look forward to a great con conversation as we always have it. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, if you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to respond. Well. I, I know that there is a, a, a rash of assassinations in Iran, or not executions, I should say, and this is typical of the regime, but they seem to be doing it in a, in a uh, more than usual. Can you tell us what's happening? Definitely. Well, the fact is that a great, grim reality has taken root in Iran since the massive successive uprising that began in 2017. It is really a tale of extensive human rights violations that uh, put a stain on world conscience. Yet, a conspicuous silence pervades the media. Recent documentations by the United Nations have spotlighted the ghastly execution of a 17-year-old and a 22-year-old, exposing the regime's macabre distinction as the world-leading child executioner. Uh, you have to remember that as popular dissent uh, crescendos, the regime brutality intensifies, with the news uh, claiming more victims. Milad Zohrevant, who was 21 years old and participated in last year's uprising, Ali Saber Mutlak, 62 years old, a longtime supporter of the main opposition, the Mujahideen MEK, about whom you wrote a book recently, Kamran Rezai, 32 years old, who participated in the 2019 uprising, were all executed uh, this past week. Uh, the horrific reality is that the regime's unbridled killing spree, uh, marking 37 executions within nine days, 48 in the past two weeks, and a staggering 120 within the past months 
unveil a sinister tableau of a theocracy utterly unhinged. Uh, in November, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres condemned the hangings, yet a, an astounding 745 executions have been carried out as we approach the end of this year, which marks a 30% increase from the corresponding period in 2002. Now you may ask why this is. Obviously, as the situation in Iran becomes more volatile with ongoing protests by different sectors of society, with uh, truck drivers, with retirees, with uh, teachers, with oil workers, with you name it, uh, whatever sector of Iranian society protesting over uh, dismal living conditions, non-payment of their salaries, lack of insurance, and of course, lack of freedoms, the regime has resorted to executions to basically instill, if you will, an atmosphere of terror and intimidation within society. Recall that the regime over the past 44 years has always used executions as a political means. And of course, as it anticipates another uprising, perhaps more ferocious and widespread than the 2020 uprising, uh, it, it really has engaged in this inhuman uh, wave of executions simply to try to prevent something from that happening. And of course, uh, concurrent with the executions within the country, we have seen the regime's uh, a step of terrorism abroad. If you remember back on November 9, uh, a well-known uh, veteran pol Spanish politician, Alejo Vidal Cuadras, who was the vice president of the European Parliament for 15 years, was shot in broad daylight in the face by an assailant uh, riding on a motorcycle. And uh, of course, uh, Mr. Quadros miraculously survived and uh, was taken to hospital. But clearly that points to the regime's uh, fingers because uh, earlier this year, Mr. Vidal Quadros was uh, put on the sanction list of the Iranian regime, along with several other members of the European Parliament for the support for the NCRI MEK. And, and just two days ago, uh, the MEK's Berlin office uh, was uh, targeted by a firebomb at 2.15 a.m. Luckily, the folks were up at that time and were able to put out the fire. Uh, but obviously this is very similar to uh, an attack or two attacks actually that were carried out against an office uh, near NCRI headquarters in Paris. Uh, two different nights, masked men came in, they opened fire on the building and then the next day they tried to set it on fire. And of course, all of them were arrested and police are investigating as are the police in, in Germany. So clearly what you are seeing is that the regime has been utterly weakened and vulnerable. And so it resorts to uh, these barbaric executions within Iran and naturally uh, the uh, attacks on Iranian resistance outside the country, uh, which examples of that we have seen. Now, uh, interesting this morning, Amnesty International published a 120 page report uh, detailing how uh, in prisons, the Iranian regime had used the sexual violence and rape against those who had been arrested, especially young people in their 20s, uh, men and women, and even some 16 prisoners who were 
under the age of 18, some as young as 12, in an attempt to uh, break these prisoners and, of course, uh, as a result to such barbaric treatment and, of course, is a cause for alarm. And before then, we had the case of this young 16-year-old girl, Armita Gravand, who was attacked by uh, enforcers of the regime, mandatory veil on a metro train in Tehran, and uh, she went into a coma and died a few days later in the hospital, very reminiscent of the way Massa Amini was killed in September 2020. So clearly, uh, the regime feels that it, it needs to step up its repression inside Iran to basically overshadow uh, the, the crisis that is facing a remediable crisis that is facing because of the problems that society faces. And unfortunately, the shadow of the Gaza conflict, which the regime has been fomenting from day one, provides us as cover because the world attention is diverted toward that crisis and, of course, the bloodshed and the catastrophe there. And so uh, you see that Western governments, Iran, have basically uh, kept mum about what is happening mm -hmm. uh, inside the country. In essence, the regime tries to pivot towards external warmongering uh, in the region. The persistent undercurrent of domestic discontent uh, serves a pointed reminder of the pressing obligation to earnestly address the fundamental needs and rights uh, of the Iranian people. So that's how I could basically provide you a context about this recent killing spree uh, inside Iran and often resort to terrorism on European soil. And naturally, I must say that this is all because of a culture of impunity, uh, which has enabled the regime to avoid accountability for its past crimes and genocides, including the 1988 massacre of 30,000 political prisoners, uh, over 90% of whom belong to the MEK. And of course, you add to that Western policy of acquiescence and the appeasement reflected, for example, in the exchange of uh, that uh, convicted terrorist serving time in prison in Belgium, Asadullah Asadi, for trying to blow up the Free Iran World Summit back in 2018, which, by the way, you attended, naturally mm -hmm. has emboldened and enabled the regime to carry out such activities. So I, I don't think American public realize that over 130,000 of your members have been executed over the last several decades. And the name of the book I wrote was called Paying the Price, which is your slogan. Talk to us, the American public, about why young Iranians, 15, 14, 16, 17, 18, are willing to pay the price for freedom in Iran. Well, as you know, of course, uh, Iran, um, the past 100 years in our country, uh, we have seen, um, if you will, three major revolutions. One, of course, was in 1906, when the Constitutional Revolution came about. And at that time, the repressive Qajar dynasty was ruling Iran. And so the people revolted against that, of course, inspired by revolution elsewhere around the world, particularly what was happening in Europe and elsewhere. And so they overthrew the Qajar dynasty and established, if you will, a constitutional monarchy 
the, enacted the parliament, convened the parliament. But unfortunately, because of foreign intervention and particularly the British, uh, there was a coup d'etat. And of course, the current, the father of the deposed Shah of Iran, uh, Reza Shah, was in, in, installed as uh, the Shah of Iran, whereas he was in reality an officer in the Cossack army uh, with the Russians and then after that with the British. And of mm -hmm. course, many years of repression followed then. Many of Iran's freedom fighters were jailed or killed, including the leaders of the 1906 constitutional revolution. And then we had the, the prime minister of Iran, Dr. Mohammad Mossadegh, who in 1951 led a, a successful uprising, if you will, against uh, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, the son of the Shah, after his father was booted out of Iran by the British because they didn't like his close affinity with Hitler and the Nazis during the Second World War. But of course, Mohammad Reza was restored to the throne with the CIA and um, MI6 coup d'etat, in which naturally the mullahs, including the mentor of Khomeini, Abul Qasem Kashani, played a crucial part. And you had many, many decades of repression inside the country. And then you had 1979 revolution, which overthrew the Shah. But unfortunately, because of Shah's uh, decimation of the democratic opposition, execution of the leaders of the MEK, Khomeini was able to step into a power vacuum and see the leadership of that revolution. So clearly the ideal of freedom uh, has been a burning desire by millions and millions of Iranians, young and old, men and women. And of course, the fact that the MEK led the torch uh, of the struggle for freedom in, in Iran after the fall of the clerical regime, as you outlined in your book, uh, that has inspired Iranians, particularly if you notice uh, in the 2022 uprising, women played a prominent role. They led that uprising, basically, and there were quite a few women who were killed, close to 70 women from all ages were killed during the uprising by the security forces. Now, that was not a spontaneous development, but had to do with 40 years of resistance on the part of women within the ranks of the MEK, thousands of whom were executed by the uh, clerical regime, including many in the 1988 massacre. And as you know, and you have been to Paris, you have been to Ashraf III, and you see what a prominent role women play in our movement. And of course, that has served as great inspiration. In a sense, they have been a role model, if you will, for the women of Iran. And even now, as we speak, uh, they are joining by the um, uh, dozens, hundreds, to the ranks of the resistance units within Iran, which of course have expanded their activities despite this uh, tremendous uh, environment of brutality and repression within the country and are targeting the regime repressive institutions, including uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Ministry of Intelligence and Security. So in many respect, respects, I think the desire for freedom, which basically is the natural humanitarian instinct, and of course, uh, the leadership that the MEK has exhibited in all these years have contributed significantly uh, to the uh, rising ranks of Iranians uh, within the movement. And of course, many of them have paid a tremendous price for that. 
Ollie, thank you very much. Uh, that's about all the time we have today, but uh, is there anything else you want our audience to know? Well, I think in terms of policy vis-a-vis -vis Iran, uh, of course, we have some specific uh, ideas uh, for um, the world community to appreciate. I think for one thing, uh, particularly Europe uh, should stop this policy of appeasement and concessions. They should designate the IRGC as a terrorist entity because, as you know, uh, it is the IRGC which represses the people of Iran at home. It is the IRGC that is uh, fermenting the bloodshed and the catastrophic um, uh, carnage in the region, in the Middle East, as we have seen in, in Gaza, uh, by helping its proxy groups like the Houthis, the Hezbollah in Lebanon, and of course the Iraqi militias in Iraq, and of course they have been providing historically tremendous amount of support to the antagonists in the conflict in Gaza right now. Of course, we have also seen um, the IRGC uh, involved in the uh, mad dash toward nuclear weapons program of Iran, its drone program, its ballistic missile program. And so it has to be designated as a terrorist entity because IRGC controls nearly 80% of the Iranian economy. And so when you do business with Iran, you are doing business with the IRGC. And so all these uh, dollars and, and huge amount of money that goes into Iran ends up in the coffers of the IRGC to be used for its um, malvolent and destabilizing activities uh, beyond Iranian borders and suppressing the people of Iran. Secondly, we believe that uh, the JCPOA was a flawed deal. And of course, now, all these years of negotiations since 2020, when uh, the Biden administration came into office in 2021, have been futile. And of course, all this money that has been given to Iran uh, has, uh, in a sense, um, had the opposite effect. Again, enabling Iran and rewarding it for its mischief. And they are, as we speak, are cheating vis-a-vis -vis the nuclear program. The IAEA had a detailed report a few weeks back saying that Iran has not cooperated with the International Atomic Energy Agency. And so in that context, we believe that the six United Nations Security Council resolutions that were shelved because of the JCPOA should be reenacted and the trigger mechanism should be activated, snap back the sanctions, and also demand that Iran allow anytime, anywhere inspections uh, of their uh, various sites inside the country. But also we believe the Iranian regime must be declared an immediate threat to national security and as such placed under uh, chapter seven of the United Nations Charter. Moreover, we think that because the Iranian embassies and uh, representative uh, offices, diplomatic missions act not as diplomatic centers, but as centers of espionage and uh, assassination. And we have seen both in Europe and, of course, the attempt on the life of uh, U.S. National Security Advisor, former National Security Advisor John Bolton in America, that those institutions, those embassies, those representative offices must be shut down and Iran's agents must be expelled from uh, these uh, capitals. You know, with this Iran influence operation that was revealed uh, a couple of months ago, mm -hmm. it goes to show the extent to which the Iranian regime's uh, agents have penetrated the highest level of not only the US government, 
you know, like the chief of the staff of the assistant secretary of defense for special operations, but also in Europe where they have become advisors to the European Union, to the European Parliament, and of course, parroting the Iranian narrative that you must engage the regime and of course, uh, stay away from the main organized opposition, the NCRI and the MEK. And so I think if these steps are taken, I think they would be, go a long way in inspiring and helping the Iranian people in their uh, quest for freedom and democracy in Iran. Ali, thank you very much. And of course, the IRCG is the uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps, which is the security services where we're seeing that in many countries where the security services become oligarchs and, and rape the country, essentially. So thank you for your time, Ali. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And I apologize for the technical difficulties. Hope to see you very soon, uh, either here or in the U.S. or who knows, in, in Ashraf 3. Okay, Ali. I'd love to come back. Thank you very much. Thank you and Take have care. your nice evening. Bye-bye. You too. Bye.